Isaiah, who actually sought the job for himself. He actually said, oh, I really want to do this. All the others, um, and certainly many of the others, uh, including Moses, Jonah, Jeremiah, they all complained so much that the task that God had given them was actually more of a fate worse than death because they knew that the people weren't going to like what they had to say. Now, if you look at other professions in the Old Testament, in ancient Israel, perhaps such as the priesthood, you know, that we were looking at last week, you know, here, if you wanted to be a priest, you had to meet the requirements. You know, there were certain things that you had to be like, specific requirements that you needed to meet. Um, for a, a priest, you had to be a member of the family of Levite, Levi, you had to be a Levite, you had to be male, and you had to fall into a particular age bracket. I think it was between 30 and 50 years old. So you can see that to be a priest was quite specific. You also had to have certain types of brides and all sorts of things like that if you want to be a high priest, but it got very, very complicated. But to be a prophet in Bible times, you didn't need that. You could, anybody could be a prophet if they were called by God. So you could be young or you could be old. You could be rich or poor. You could be really intelligent. Or you could be like me, perhaps not so intelligent. Or you could be male or female. There was no, none of these restrictions were placed upon being a prophet. And in fact, some of the most influential prophets in Israel were women. If we look through the Old Testament, you've got Miriam, for instance, who led Israel in its worship of God after the Exodus. And you can read about uh, that her in Exodus chapter 15. You've got Deborah, who led the Israel to victory against the Canaanites in Judges chapter 4. And you've got a lady by the name of Huldah. Now, I hadn't come across her before. Not, not one of the sort of people that you'd normally think about when you think about a prophet. But she was an advisor to one of Israel's greatest kings, King Josiah. And you can read about her in 2 Kings chapter 22. Hodiah, H-U-L-D-A-H, if I can read, read it properly. Yeah, Hodiah. <clears throat> so actually the secret, I think, of God's choice in his prophets was actually one of diversity. You know, because, because God needed a wide range of people to deliver a very diverse range of messages into the ever-changing circumstances of Israel as a nation. So, that's a bit about the prophets. What did they do? I think some of the most common tasks I've just put down here for, to give us an idea of, of what the sort of things they were about. Firstly, I want to say that they, prophets often predicted the future, okay? They predicted future events uh, in a way that was, it was like their calling card. If you wanted to be a good prophet, you needed to predict what was going on. And, <clears throat> and these predictions could range from uh, just picking the, the sex of an unborn, unborn child to uh, uh, determining who was going to win 
a war uh, or the outcome of a battle. Typically, the ability of these prophets to predict the future gave them credibility. You know, if they could predict a few things like that, then people were going to listen to them. And then, so that then when they had an audience, they could then tell their listeners what was really on their minds, or really more importantly and more accurately, what was on God's mind. Secondly, they were there to advise leaders. You know, the kings of the time, they realised the importance of getting God's approval before embarking on a particular course of action, such as building a temple or going to war. Yet most of the kings really didn't want no to be an answer that they would get. So they would usually hire prophets. They would pay prophets who were really nothing more than ancient yes-men. And at times, uh, you know, the, these guys, you know, they would say what the king wanted to hear just to keep their jobs and often just to keep their heads Okay, but quite often, <clears throat> dry not. Quite, at times, though, much to the annoyance of the king, a true prophet would show up, and he would tell the king what God really wanted to tell him, and what, what God really thought about his plans or the way that he was handling a situation. So as a result of this, the kings and the prophets often really didn't get on very well. There was often a real tension between them. And if you think about it into the New Testament, you know, think about John the Baptist and King Herod and what happens there when we read in Matthew 14 that John lost his head because the king really didn't like the things that John was telling him. Okay. So they advised leaders, they enacted change. You know, prophets worked hard to get people to change, to change their behaviours, to change their beliefs. At times, the messages were met with repentance and change. So, you know, and people listened to them, and they could hear God's word in what they were saying. And so they responded, and they, they sort of turned around and said, OK, you know, we've got to turn back to God. But often as not, you know, the, the words of the prophets were just shunned and ignored. And prophets found their very lives in danger. Prophets often found themselves performing symbolic acts. You know, what is it we say? A picture is worth a thousand words? Yeah. Well, sometimes the prophets conveyed their messages through dramatic action. For example, the prophet Ezekiel was asked to cook food over manure briquettes to, to symbolise Israel's moral uncleanliness. You find that in Ezekiel chapter 4. Basically, he had to try and cook this food over this dung, for, you know, which would make the food totally impure in order to show that this is how God saw the people of Israel at that time totally impure and unclean. 
The prophet Hosea was asked to marry a prostitute in order to convey Israel's unfaithfulness to God. We see that in Hosea 1. And the prophet Isaiah was asked to go around naked for three years. Think of that. Can you imagine Dave running around for three years? No, perhaps not. We won't go there. But I mean, Isaiah had to be naked for three years just in order to depict Israel's impending judgment and the shame that they were to, to fall into. And that's in Isaiah 20, if you want to read about that. So as you, as you can imagine, you know, there wasn't very much of a queue outside the prophet employment agency. You know, there just weren't many people coming to the job centre where I work saying, oh, can I get a job as a prophet somewhere, you know? That's a good deal. I don't think so. No, they didn't do that. They, you know, it wasn't the sort of job that you would normally jump into. And finally, I just want to say that the prophets declared God's oracles. What do I mean by that? I think the most common function of a prophet was to deliver God's messages. And these messages, often called oracles, usually began, began with the words, Thus says the Lord. And then the prophet would then speak forth what he'd got from God. You know, and these oracles most often warned people of impending judgment. The, the judgment that they would face if they didn't, didn't reverse their direction and amend their ways. So, how did Jesus fit the bill? You know, Moses, Moses, I think, was probably the first major prophet. And he himself, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, prophesied about the coming Messiah, about Jesus. You know, Moses has been up the mountain with God, and God's given him the Ten Commandments. But God's also given him lots of other things for the people. And words about prophets, but in particular, this prophecy about Jesus, the coming Messiah. So think about this. I'm just going to read these verses. Moses is talking to the people of Israel about what God's given to him. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your fellow Israelites. And you must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord, your God at Horeb, on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, because we're going to die. We just can't cope anymore. And the Lord said to me, says Moses, what they say is actually good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites and I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything that I command him. So Moses, even back then, way, way back, he prophesied about the coming Jesus. And I believe that down throughout history and particularly throughout the Old Testament, you know, God has provided us a roadmap pinpointing us to Jesus. 
he foretold various signs and conditions through the prophets. And these prophets spoke many things that we should, should watch out for so that we would recognize the Messiah and that we would believe in him. And these signs or these prophecies were given to us throughout the Old Testament. But in particular, in those last books, the, the last few books of the Bible that were written. But when you think about it, and again, I, as I was looking at this, I thought, wow, that's amazing. Because the, old the last books of the Old Testament were written about 450 years before Jesus came. So all of these prophecies about Jesus, about the coming Messiah, they were at least 450 years old, but they go all the way back to the Messiah, uh, to, to, uh, to Moses. And <clears throat> so they were written then. And in fact, the Old Testament contains over 300 prophecies, 300, that Jesus fulfilled through his life and his death and his resurrection. 300 of them. The, the chances of getting 300 prophecies right in this way uh, are just amazing. It's way beyond numbers that we could think about. But Jesus did it. So that's before he came. And then when he came up to earth, yeah, and in particular in those three years that he was ministering, yeah, he interacted, Jesus interacted with many people during his time on this earth. And actually these people, when they saw what he did and, who he, and heard him speak, you know, they, they, they themselves thought, well, you know, who is this guy? What is he? And many of them thought, he's a prophet. And they said, you know, throughout, um, you know, this guy has got to be a prophet. He's got to be from God to say these things. And, and in particular, in many of the encounters that we read in the Gospels, you know, when people see Jesus doing his miracles, when they see Jesus' control over the wind and the waves, they consider him to be a prophet. In Luke chapter 7, We've got the story there, haven't we, of the widow of Nan's son being raised. And, and, and so when Jesus raised this, this young man, their response was, wow, a great prophet has appeared among us. Luke 7, 11 to 17. The Samaritan woman who Jesus encountered at the well, she was astonished, wasn't she, at the ability of Jesus to speak concerning the events and the conditions of her life. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. You know, this woman embraced the idea that Jesus' power to see into her life and into her situation was due to the fact that he was a prophet. Jesus had told her things that she realised he couldn't have known about her. This could only have come from God. And then we read in Matthew 21, when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You know, and when we think about this, you know, we often remember 
a lot of the words that the people shouted out, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise in the highest and all those sort of things. But actually, if you read there as well, they also were saying that Jesus was a prophet. And the words there in, uh, what is it, uh, Matthew 21, verse 11. The crowd shouted that Jesus was a prophet too. And then in Matthew 16, we read this wonderful passage of when Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. I think this is wonderful. I'm going to read these verses. From chapter th- Matthew 16, 13 to 17, it says this. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesar, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, Well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, Well, well, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You know, it wasn't, just conversation or reputation or whatever that gave Simon this. God had spoken and made Simon aware of who Jesus really was. And later on in Acts, you know, both Peter and Stephen, in their sermons there that we we read, um, they spoke of Jesus as being the ultimate fulfilment of Moses' prophecy. And they preach that Jesus is the prophet who, like Moses, must be listened to. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 7. But but all these years on, we've got that little bit more knowledge, haven't we? And we know that Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't just a prophet. He was and is the Son of God. Jesus is the Word of God, it says in John 1, verse 1. He doesn't simply speak the Word of God as a mere human prophet, but he is himself the Word made flesh, John 1, 14. He's the final Word, as it were, the ultimate revelation of God to us. And I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where the writer says this. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also... He made the universe. See, he isn't just a prophet. He's God's son. He's the ultimate prophet. And as a prophet, Jesus prophesied many things. He told his disciples of his coming death and resurrection. We can read that in Matthew 17. 
He told us of Judas's betrayal in Matthew 26. He told us of Peter's denial, and that's in each one of the four Gospels. He preached, uh, sorry, he predicted the coming of the Holy Spirit in John 16. He, he predicted the persecution of his followers. He predicted the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem later in AD 70. He predicted that the gospel, his message, was going to be preached worldwide. And we see that in Matthew 24. But perhaps most encouraging for us today as believers, I believe is this, that Jesus prophesied his coming return in Matthew 24 and John 14. So you see, we can see that Jesus was a prophet, but he was so, so, so much more. He's our great, perfect prophet. <clears throat> Just as Philip was saying last Sunday, you know, about Jesus being our great high priest, so Jesus is our greatest prophet. In fact, even more so because he's the Word of God and he's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the coming King. So what does this mean to us today? You know, our Bible, and in particular the New Testament, is just so full of the teaching of Jesus. There's so much for us to learn about living life from the Scriptures, and especially in the words of Jesus. I've said Jesus is our prophet. He's our teacher. He's the Word of God for us. No one knows what is on God's heart for you or for me more than Jesus does. And we need to allow the Word of God to direct our lives. We need to allow Jesus to direct us and to guide us. We need to let him to do this in our good times when we're really up for it and going for it and you know, want to worship God and, and do all these things. But also we need to do it to allow Jesus to into our lives in those more difficult times, in those tough times when we're struggling in our faith, when perhaps we're struggling in our health and what's going on around us. But we need to let Jesus in and help direct us and guide us and fill us in those times. You see, Jesus wants us to learn what it is to be his disciples. In John 8, it says this, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. And I think Jesus is saying that. You know, if we, if we can hold on to his teachings, if we can take on his word, good and bad times, then we'll be his disciples. You know, Jesus wants us to draw near to him. He wants us to learn from him. And in doing so, we can then know real freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from all those things that bind us and hold us back. In John 14, 6, Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, 
and the life. And that no one gets to the Father but through him. And he goes on to say in John 8 that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. You see, in him, it's in Jesus that we will be free. And Jesus also wants us to know that we have a future with him. In John 14, verses 1 to 3, I'm going to read these because, again, I think they're the most amazing verses. You know, Jesus said this. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. And if that weren't so, I would have told you, you know, if that weren't so, would I have told you, he says, that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? No. If I go to and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. That's an amazing promise. That's, you know, the, the, the truth of those words when you think about them. You know, Jesus has promised this. He's not told us a pack of lies. He's really said there, you know, I wouldn't have told you this if it wasn't true. Believe me, I'm going, I'm preparing this place for you and it will be ready when you get there. And I think if there are any words that help us persevere in our faith, it's these. So I just want to draw to a close with a few questions. I've said there, that I really truthfully believe that Jesus wants us to be close to him. And I, I need to ask the question, and I'm not asking for answers, obviously. I just want you to think about this. How are you staying close to Jesus? How are you strengthening your relationship with Jesus? How are you getting to know him better? How are you listening to Jesus? You know, what are you doing to grow as a disciple, to grow as a learner of Jesus? Obviously, I've said that Jesus' words are in the Scriptures. And the Bible is so important. And I, you know, I think whatever message somebody gives, we can't help but turn around and say, we need the Bible. We need the Bible in our lives. We need the Bible to, to learn from, to live by. You know, the Bible is a, word, is a light to our feet. It, it's that... It's that lighthouse that keeps us on the straight and narrow. We need to get into God's Word. But I'm a practical guy. I go to work every day. I, I know the constrictions that, that there are on our lives. It's not easy. you know. And, but I just thank God for all of the little things that he gives us too that help us. 
You know, I would love to spend an hour, you know, in the scriptures before I go to work every morning. But it, I'm, I'm honest, it doesn't work. But what I do find helpful, though, and it's just as an encouragement, I listen to a Christian radio program that has these little nuggets of God's word. And I, and if I'm, you know, in a rush or whatever, as I often am, I'll just listen to that. You know, even if it's just as I'm drying myself off out of the shower. Now, don't picture that one. But I mean, you know, if I'm there and I'm just getting ready, I can listen to God's word. I can listen to, to, to worship, worship songs. I can listen, but there's no, nothing that will actually replace getting into God's word. So I encourage us all in that. And so my last question, really statement to you this morning, is I want to encourage you to just ask Jesus, is there more? Is there more that I should be doing? Amen.